morning, everybody. I, I asked the band to do that song here for a reason. Because the song is all based in the series we just finished on The Afterlife that says there's a, a way of looking at spirituality and the Christian tradition that says I'm ready now. This isn't about or all about when I die, something's going to happen. It's what does my life look like now? And what does the world look like now? We have this, this model that we've been using lately. We look at our spiritual journey through this. It's this idea that says, healthy me, very important, right? Healthy you, very important. But there's other people. I and they. You are all my theys. I'm your they. But the they portion of our spirituality extends broader than just me and you and me and my partner and me and my friends. And to find this sense of we, this transcendence, we look at and say the whole world is connected to us. Lately, we've been watching what's gone on in Turkey and Syria. That's our they. And we say to ourselves, as spiritual beings, as people of Friend Church, we go, what do I want to do about them? It's a spiritual question, I think. It's a question that says, my life is not just for me. There's a we component. It says, their lives matter to me. We sometimes call this taking water, making the world a better place. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's kind of like there's a speed bump. I read on the news, 46,000 people have been killed in this earthquake. 46,000 people. And my brain kind of goes on tilt. It just kind of becomes a number. It's like, whoa. That's the human reaction of Vince. But the spiritual side of me says, how can I help? How can I care about them? Sometimes the speed bump is, I think, oh, well, I can't go there. They don't actually need me there. Probably me flying in is not that valuable to them. But I have money. So I can send that. And then usually I think, okay, well, what should I do? And then something else happens, and then I forget about it, and I don't do anything. And then three days later, I think, oh, I, you should do something again. So in an attempt to try and help us all see our world through this we lens, through this I take care of them, creating a we lens, we said, what if we just made it easy for you? If this is something that's of value to you or important to you, if this is part of your spiritual journey, and this is a cause that means something to you, we're just going to make it a bit easier. If you go to friendschurch.ca slash earthquake, you can donate. Every penny that we raise will go directly to them. Any bank fees will cover It's a way to make our spirituality a little easier. If this isn't something that's on your spiritual journey, totally okay, totally fine. But if this is something that matters to you like it does to me, I'd encourage you. You can do it through us, you can do it directly to any organization you believe in. But I'm encouraging us all to see this through that spiritual lens. Whatever your reaction is, 
It says, I care about them. And their world matters to me spiritually. So I'd invite you, donate if you want. Care in whatever way you want. But think deeply about the spiritual part, or this spiritual part of your life. I'm going to let Jeff take over from here. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Again, more faces that I haven't seen in a while and some new people. It's a wonderful thing. It's uh, great to have you all here. Do I need to be centered properly or will that throw some people off? They're like, "Uh uh-uh, you're a little shy of center on one side. Try my best. Hey, I've got this weird uh, relationship um, with fear, especially people who are experiencing fear around me. And I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but since I was young, I have always gotten a real kick out of watching people get scared. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's just something twisted in me, uh, scaring friends of mine, them scaring me. I mean, it just makes me laugh. I watch uh, these videos. I just saw one this morning of these, these friends are on this roller coaster. Maybe you've seen these before, but one's taking the, you know, the selfie with their friend and, and they're going through this roller coaster and the other one is like freaking out so bad, literally. They're like, and then they pass out and then all of a sudden they go, about three times over the course of the ride they're kind of passed out to freaking out passed out anyways I, I just have a belly laugh at about 5.30 in the morning watching this thing you know and it's just it's a wonderful thing that doesn't make me a bad person does it like that is there anyone else that kind of gets a thrill out of watching someone else hey we're not talking life threatening situations right just the odd little panic I was on a plane with my buddy um, a number of years ago. We were, I don't know if I had ever flown with him, in the, like right beside him. Anyways, I think we'd been on different flights together before, but we were on the tarmac. We were just getting ready to take off. And uh, the jet engine started revving up. And you, you knew we were just about, and all of a sudden, you know, the G-force and we start taking off. And I hear this hissing sound. And I... I'm looking up at the vents going, wow, is that ever loud? And then I realize, hey, that's not coming from, and I look over and here's my friend, white knuckling the hand rests, and he's going like this. And I look at him, I go, buddy, stop that. <laughs> You're, you're embarrassing me. And, and I look at him again, I'm like, oh, wow, he is nervous. Like, that's nerves. He's just, he had this fear of takeoff. And I couldn't help it. I was just, <laughs> I, I was trying not, I was trying to be, I couldn't find the compassion button. I just, I was laughing at him, and he couldn't even look at me, just straight. <laughs> yeah, that's so bad. But funny. Sometimes it's easy to be a little callous to other people's fears, isn't it? Maybe you're in driving the car and someone is nervous, either about the speed you're driving at or the road conditions, and they start weighing in. I don't know what that's like. I've only heard people talk about that. Uh, But the person is nervous. 
You know, maybe they're grabbing onto the handles. Maybe they're, and they're going, why are you going so fast? I think that's what they say. I'm not sure. And, <laughs> and you look at a person driving would look at them and say, relax, chill out. Like, what's your problem? Maybe you're getting ready to go out and there's a person in the house that's nervous about being late. And they're going, we got to go right now. And you're going, don't rush me. <sighs> you can tell they got some anxiety around being late. And they're pacing. Again, I wouldn't know what any of this is about. I've owned, I'm just relaying on these stories. Maybe you have a boss. It's been a bad month. Sales aren't going the way they are. And then that boss is on edge. Maybe they're moving into micromanaging. Maybe they're demanding certain things. Their tone has changed. You can feel the stress. How do you react to those kind of fear responses? I'm not that sympathetic. I tend to get angry by some of those kinds of responses. I tend to look at them and say, not my problem. That would be you. Anyone else? The problem with fear sometimes is that though it's probably what is driving the reactions, it doesn't always look like fear. Isn't it true? Sometimes it's lashing out in anger. Sometimes fear will just shut down a person and they just stop talking. They stop answering your phone calls or your texts. Sometimes they just go into hiding or they say, I'm not talking about this. I'm done with you. Sometimes fear masquerades in a punch of emotion. It's coming out and all of a sudden someone's crying and you're like, why are you all emotional now? You don't necessarily know what's underneath it, but what's coming out is making you feel perhaps uncomfortable, irritated. It's hard to argue that what is going on inside a person when they're reacting in different ways isn't real. Even in their own minds, it's hard to deny that what's going on is there's not something real that's going on. But it's hard when you're on the outside looking in, going, what is your problem? It can feel so irrational sometimes. You're just looking at them going, get a grip. The question I've been wrestling with lately is, do we have, as an outsider, as a friend, as a partner, as a parent, as a brother, as a child, some kind of responsibility, some kind of role to play with that person's fear. Because I think my default perhaps has often been, this is not my monkeys, it's not my circus. This isn't my issue. 
Thankfully, this is not a new question. This isn't a new challenge. I think this has been, these kinds of scenarios and situations have been with us since the beginning of time. People being fearful and people around going, what am I supposed to do with this? Thousands of years this has been going on. Oh, sure, the things that people have been freaked out about over millennia has changed. You know, back in ancient in- Back in ancient Israel, there wasn't a constant threat of biological warfare. You know, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have epidemics like we have today. But I can tell you this. Back in ancient Israel, man, there were threats. There were people feeling fearful. Constant threats. There's this one story of the Israelites traveling from Egypt where they were held as slaves. They worked as slaves for many years. A guy named Moses shows up and delivers him, you know, the people from the, the grip of Pharaoh and he's leading them into the promised land. And if you're familiar with any of the biblical kind of tradition story, the Hebrews, uh, this, this will ring kind of, you know, ring some bells perhaps. Anyways, they're, they're approaching the promised land, or they're getting closer. And they realize that in order to get to the promised land, they're going to have to walk through some territory that was held by some people called the Edomites. Um, if they didn't cut through their land, it, the way around was treacherous, through the hills of Seir. I, they didn't want to go that route. So at this calm quandary, because in that time, when you occupied land, you were constantly worried about the threat of invasion. Someone coming in saying, we want your land, we'll fight you for it. That was a constant threat. So when they got close, the Edomites had told them, you ain't coming in here. You aren't coming through their land. You aren't coming in here. The story has it that the, this character God begins to speak to the leaders of the Israelites. And he says, oh, you're going to go through their land. He said, command the people, you're to cut through the land belonging to the Edomites. But here's the thing. He said, they're terrified of you. So you need to restrain yourselves. Don't try to start a fight Be careful. Pay them up front for any food or any water you're going to take from their land. Do whatever you can. Shh. Tread carefully. Now, this is interesting. Because there are other instances where it's like they come up to a land and it's like, no, you're going in and you're occupying. You don't give a rip about what they want. They're not going to like it. You, you go in and you take it over. You conquer them. But for some reason, this time, the character God looks at these Israelites and says, you are going to make their fear your problem. You're actually going to care about their level of threat. You're going to do some things that are going to help bring peace to them. Choose your words carefully. So the story says we detoured 
around our brothers. Even though we're on their land, rather than taking the main king's highway, we used another road through the wilderness of Moab. It was just another alternative route through their land, avoiding problems and keeping threat levels low. Why this tribe? I, I can't figure it out. Why he... It seems God said, look at this scenario. I'm counting on you not to start something. Be sensitive to them. It seems like it was some kind of divine mandate. Hmm. Got me thinking. Are there divine mandates? When perhaps we get a nudge that says, this person's fear is your problem. A friend of ours um, told a story uh, a while back of a time she had a panic attack in a waiting room. And uh, it hasn't left me. She, she was there to get a flu shot. So she goes in and gets this shot, but then she said this thought in her head started to swirl. She said, what if I get an allergic reaction to this shot? She said it was like a fleeting thought, but then all of a sudden, the thought began to snowball in her head. She got the shot, she came out into the waiting room, and she said a a panic attack just started taking over. She said the tunnel vision started. She said my... uh, My breathing started getting erratic. She said within minutes, she was down on the floor in the fetal position, feeling like she was starting to have trouble breathing. Now, if you knew this person, you would know this is not typical of her. But there she is on on the floor of this waiting room, this clinic. And she's so... This nurse, who was kind of doing some stuff in the office, she came by and she noticed her, and she came over to her. She leaned down, and she calmly whispered, I'm a nurse, and I want to help you. Can I ask what's going on? Carmen was worried. She said, I'm, I'm worried that I'm having an allergic reaction and I'm not going to be able to breathe really soon. So the nurse just said, okay, tell you what, give me your arm. I want to look at your arm. I want to look at both arms. She looked at her arm. She pulled up her sleeve. She was looking at him. She goes, I want to look just down the back of your neck, all right? So she does this. And she says, ma'am, I see no hives on your arms, which would have been a clue that perhaps there's an allergic reaction coming down. She said, I'm not certain that it's an allergic reaction. Carmen said, instantly when she said those words, something shifted in her head. She said, all of a sudden I found myself breathing a little bit easier. She said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. Is there someone I can call for you? She says, if you could call my husband. She said, okay. Do you know her number? So anyways, she's just sitting there quietly. She starts dialing a number and she just stood there, just sat there with her right down on the floor. And she said, Carmen says, her whole demeanor just shifted right out of this thing. 
Carmen said, it was so powerful because she took my concerns so seriously. She met me right where I was, like literally, got right down on the floor with me and brought me out. Let me ask you something. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Where someone in the grip of fear, someone who's lost, maybe in their own mind, in a traumatic experience or something, and someone comes along and has this ability, in whether what they're saying, what they're doing, and all of a sudden you can just watch that person's emotional state just begin to transform. Have you felt that before? Have you watched it? Another story, 18-year-old kid. He's working for the church that I once worked for. Newbie. Back then, this was years ago, they had this big projector. It was a big movie projector. And back then, of course, things were different. But this thing was expensive. Old reel-to-reel. They had it on a big cart. At that time, that machine was probably worth... My buddy was telling me maybe somewhere around $30,000. It was new technology. This new kid was asked to take it from one area of the church to another area to get ready, set up for this meeting. And he's wheeling it along on this high cart. It catches the carpet on one corner. He's going by and the whole thing tips. And that projector crashes. And this 18-year-old kid, who was then about 44 when he told me this story, he remembered it that clearly. He said he, he was so freaked out. And he's, he's not sure what to do. He's thinking, I, I just got this job, now I've lost it. But I might have to pay for this thing. Like, so he has all these thoughts in his mind. There's a guy rolling through the lobby of the church. Here's the crash and comes running. He's actually one of the guys that runs this thing, had purchased the thing. And he sees the machine. When this kid sees him, he just starts, like, bawling. He's just a mess. He just can't believe. And he's just, in, like, in the fetal position. And this guy comes over. His name was John. He can't believe, obviously, what he's looking at but he sat down beside this guy, 18-year-old kid, and put his arm around him. And this kid, who told me the story when he was 43 years old, he said he told me words that had changed my life in that moment. He leaned over and he said, this is why we have insurance. <laughs> and, and that kid like, started putting it all together and going, Oh, my God. It's okay? He's like, it's okay, pal. How about you help me? Let's pick this all up. Have you ever had a moment where someone transported you out of a world of pain? Hmm. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you allowed someone else's fearful or anxious or insecure state to become your problem? When was the last time you tried to help alleviate someone's fear in some way. This is a question I'm asking myself. How willing have I been to help calm someone else's internal storm?
I'm telling you, there are a lot of fear storms going on right now. Gregory began the morning talking about it. He said, there's a lot of crazy. We're living in one of the most tense times in modern human history. We got stuff being shot out of the sky. There's all these allegations going on. We got constant talk of the next pandemic. We got a Russian-Ukraine war that's escalating in a, a really terrifying way right now. We got these earthquakes, unprecedented death counts. We got the doomsday clock that just got set. You see that? 90 seconds to midnight. The clock that metaphorically speaks of how close we are to human catastrophe. This might not be stuff that you're thinking about, but I'm telling you, the threat is very real. And whether you you dwell on this stuff or not, it's sitting with a low-level anxiety that's amping up our society all around us. Now, you add to that maybe a little financial pressure. You add to that a little relational stress. You add to that maybe a kid of yours that's going through a tough time. A parent who's struggling. A health diagnosis comes down. Maybe you add to that a little personal trauma that is still unresolved in your life or someone you know. And I'm telling you, you got a powder keg for fear storms that can move in. Chances are good that literally every day you are witness to someone whose fear is getting the best of them. And I'm just wondering, what role am I supposed to be playing when all of a sudden it starts taking over in the lives of these people around me? As I've been thinking about this, I'm convinced there's probably more responsibility than I've been willing to take on. Vince just talked about this diagram that we've, we've spent the last year, actually maybe longer, the I, the we, or they, and the we, this, this model of spiritual transformation that in last week Vince talked a lot about the I, saying it is important that we learn how to figure out what I need what I want out of my life. What are my preferences? Remember, he talked about the movie. How do you watch, find, pick the right movie when you've got two people that want two different things? And the importance of being able to speak up and say, actually, I would like something along this lines. And that's not wrong. That's not unspiritual. That's a part of the spiritual journey is defining the I of your life, figuring out who you are and what you need and advocating for it. But the spiritual journey is not solely about that. He brought that up this morning. That's why we even ask, why should we give a rip about Turkey and Syria? But perhaps they're part of our they in our life. And each of us has a they. You have family. Some that you love, maybe some that are difficult. You've got neighbors, some that you love, some that... mm, You've got perhaps siblings... And you got close friends, you got distant friends, you got relatives. That's your they, the people that you're crossing paths with. The cashier I was talking to the other day at Costco. Part of my they, I don't know how I ended up chatting with her, but for some reason we struck up a conversation. And that day she became part of my they. 
And every day, part of our spiritual journey demands of us, what is my responsibility to you? As we come in contact with each other. That's what this all is about this morning. Sometimes there will be moments when my aggravation and my irritation with the fear response of my family member or friend or whatever needs to be set aside. And perhaps I need to look at them and say, okay, how can I help? Now I know it seems from the biblical account that there are many instances where it says, yeah, not every time, but sometimes it will be your mandate. I know that it is humanly possible to actually transform someone's moment in the midst of their painful, fearful response. If you're familiar with attachment theory, they've been, there's so much science now on the, our ability as outsiders to change someone's fearful response. So I know it's possible. Now the thing I'm wrestling with is when and how. Because let's be honest, you can't be responsible for everyone's fear. When do you step in? When do you do something? And what do you do? That's where my questions have led me. Do you know when you're supposed to step in and say, hey, can I help you or something? Sometimes what is needed isn't even all that complicated. That's the good news. Like it's, it's, sometimes it's not real rocket science what can be done to help. Um, ever since Kathy and I were married, if I'm really honest, I have not taken some of her fears really seriously. One that um, has always seemed to be there is her need to have the doors locked. Now, I know for some of you, you go, are you crazy, Jeff? Like, why would but I grew up in a family, we rarely locked the doors. We never felt that threat. I, it's just not, so I can even manufacture. Knock on wood, someone's gonna come and break. I don't know, I don't know what will happen. They'll say, Jeff, you see, but I just, it, I can't even manufacture that concern, that fear. But the number of times, starting from early on, where I would be crawling to bed and Kathy would almost wake up and she'd say, are the doors locked? And at that point in time, I am almost half asleep. And my patented answer was, yep. But I didn't really know. But I felt safe. I know, jerk move. But I... I didn't, I didn't want to get up. And so I said, no, they're all good. So Kathy would roll over. She'd go back to sleep. Until one morning she walks down and sees a door unlocked. She said, well, how could this be? 
I said, oh, geez, I must have missed that one. She said, you didn't check, did you? And it turned into a big thing. Big. And I dismissed her fears, and I said, that's your problem. And then it kind of carried on. Years later, we're, we're into the 30 years married. I'm beginning to realize how one and a half minute scan when I hit the bed and she looks at me and says, are the doors locked? And I know her trusting me is pretty, that's, that's more important than anything. So I'll say, I'm not sure. But in that moment, for me to just hightail it down and to do that one and a half minute scan, I come back and what I've done for Kath, it's, it's done a number of things. The driving thing, she's panicking. Why are you driving so fast? I can argue with her, I can mock, I can, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of different things, most of them wrong. But if I just simply hit the brakes and backed it down, the change I bring out in her. Sometimes it's not rocket science. Sometimes it's just a little thing. And I wish they're all that little. Sometimes they aren't. Sometimes it's really confusing because the signals that they're giving off aren't necessarily telling you, I'm freaking out. Sometimes they're saying, I'm just mad at you. Or I'm just sad, or it's hard to know. Sometimes seeing the fear response, fear signals, is part of the challenge. It's hard to respond to something unless you know what it is. You might know someone very lost in thought. This happens. They're just distracted. They're overthinking. Something happened at work, at school. Something happened in a conversation they had with someone, and it's like it's just on replay. And it might come up again and again. It's a low-level fear, perhaps internally, of what that might have caused. And internally, it's just got energy. It might look like that. It might look like someone is really blaming, accusing. Maybe they're, they're looking at you and they got their finger pointed. And there's some kind of angry outburst. It's easy to get caught up in the accusation and take it personally. But if, if you could see underneath that thing, maybe something would go, whoa, 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 whoa. We got, we got fear going on here. Some, something's driving that thing. Overreactions. Man, those are tells, hey? Watch someone just like absolutely lose it on something. You're going, whoa, what's going on here? You see these kind of symptoms and signals. And I'm wondering if in that moment, as you just recognize something is freaking off, there isn't a small window right there where you ask the question, is this one of those moments when the divine pokes you in the chest? and says, this one's going to be your problem. I don't know. 
paying attention to those fears. Sometimes it's so subtle. Sometimes it looks like binge drinking. Sometimes it looks like overeating or not eating. Losing sleep. How many times do you hear someone say, I did not sleep well last night? I've been struggling to sleep. How many times is that ever a cue for you to say, you okay? Is there something going on? Right over my head most times. Really, I'll tell you what you need to do to get some sleep. I go into fix-it mode on the sleep side, not realizing that perhaps something else is going on. I'm betting some people who are listening to me right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're not talking about another person. You've been caught in that fear. And it's playing out in a lot of different ways, but people around you aren't picking up the clue phone. They're not helping. This is freaking relevant today. What do you do? All of a sudden, you start picking up the signals. You start recognizing, wow, someone's, someone's been bit by fear here. What you do is, frick, every story is going to look a little different. It all starts with your ability to just notice it, I think. What's going on? And am I supposed to help here? Am I willing to help? Once you get to the point where you say, yeah, I am willing, and maybe this is something I need to ask about. What you do next, you could do a hundred different things and any one of those hundred might be the right one. And you have to trust yourself that you might know. But the number one advice I could give anyone is if you can give a frickin' sense that you care, 99 out of 100 percent, 100 times, they're going to respond to you with a level of openness about what might be happening. Or even just acknowledge the fact that you see them struggling. Something as simple as looking at them and saying, hey, is everything all right? Or I'm sensing something is a bit off. I could be wrong. You okay? The number of times when I have been on the money in terms of the tone and not accusing, not fixing, but just caring curiosity. You're not acting the way you normally do. Or that thing that I just saw, that's not you. Is there something I can do to help? Now, the ninjas in the room, and I know some of you are ninjas in this regard, you can spot it, and you're, you're skilled. I've watched some ninjas who know their audience, and they see that person in a bad place, and they just know, come here. And they just grab onto them. And you just watch that person just melt. <laughs> you need a hug. 
There's other people that will say, huh, come on, we gotta go for a walk. You're coming over to my place. I'm making some food. You need some comfort food and we're gonna sit back and relax and catch up. The ninjas are able to read the room. They're able to figure out, hmm, I think there's some people, more avoidant types, they're going, ah, don't get in my face. They say, hey, look it. If you ever need to chat, I'd be honored if you give me a call. Some of that stuff that looks like some heavy stuff that's going on. And sometimes just a distant invitation might be all that it takes. For some, it's physical touch, holding someone's hand, coming up behind them, just rubbing their shoulders. You, obviously, if you're reading the room, you're not, you know, <laughs> I was getting nervous and <laughs> encouraging people to do that stuff and then they're doing it to a stranger. That's not what I'm trying to re- recommend, right? You know your audience. You know the people that are your they. But people that are tuned into this kind of thing can spot something they're going, okay, it's time. I gotta, I gotta offer something. Depending on how acute the fear is. I don't know how often you'll find yourself in a waiting room with someone in the fetal position. But chances are you might end up with a kid who is hysterical after an, a nightmare. You might have someone who just got news of layoffs and it's involving them you might just end up rubbing shoulders with someone who just got the diagnosis. And in that moment, the disorientation and the disequilibrium can be so great, what you might be able to help them do is just simply breathe. I've watched people do this before. I don't know if you're familiar with Andrew Huberman, but he talks about this, the physiological sigh it's just a breathing technique. They, did, they discovered this in the 30s. Whenever someone gets into a claustrophobic environment or when they're in a deep sleep and they're not breathing properly, the body will instinctively do this two inhales in and one inhale out. And it has this powerful way of regulating someone at a point when they're not breathing the way they need to be. Two inhales in. Normally the first inhale is the biggest. You go... Big breath, short breath, exhale. Now, it might sound a little foo-foo for some, but I'm telling you, this physiological sigh, you lead someone through it. They're all wigging out. You say, come on, come here, come here, come here. I want you to just breathe, just breathe. (sighs) Come on. Andrew Human goes on on lengths how that can take someone out of a panicked state or a or just a lost state and bring them right into this moment where all of a sudden that's all they're doing. And all of a sudden the brain, the brain you move out of that amygdala, that fight or flight response into now all of a sudden other parts of the brain start firing and you're back again. We talk a lot about loving our neighbor around here. We think it's probably one of the most spiritual things we can learn how to do. Giving a shit about our neighbors. Caring learning how to take water to our world. 
sometimes it's grabbing onto someone and saying, come here, come here, breathe, is loving your neighbor. Hitting the gas or hitting the brakes. Sorry, not gas. I was a Freudian slip. Hitting the brakes. Locking the doors. I don't know what different opportunities and assignments have landed on your lap that maybe you took or maybe you disregarded. But I'm telling you, these opportunities are all around us now more than ever. And the invitation to you this morning is are you paying attention and are you willing to help lift or alleviate or minimize the suffering that someone is experiencing because of fear? Now, I'm guessing some of you, there might be someone here who is, the part of their they is someone who, whose fear has been chronic. There might be trauma there might be a long history of stuff just not resolving. And what that can do, especially for some who don't understand it all, who have been bothered by it, this assignment today becomes incredibly arduous. It becomes almost like, oh, please don't ask me to do this because this is hard. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to being willing to help do the uncomfortable thing. Sometimes this could be the most spiritual thing you ever do. I'm going to close. I'm going to invite the band up. I asked them um, to play a very particular song. And I love this song because it is written from the voice of one who is suffering. And when I, when I, hear them, I heard them playing it this morning, I thought... Man, I have people in my life who are bitten by fear. And when I imagine them expressing these words, oh, I don't know, a new, a new chord of empathy, a new chord of compassion comes over. So I, as they play this morning, I'm going to just invite you. Think about the people in your life that perhaps you've been handed some assignments to. Whether you've duffed it, whether you nailed it, maybe today, this morning, will mark an, a new opportunity to, um, to make a difference in their life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close off the message. We're going to do this, and then there's announcements after. But I hope this week you would be willing to take on an assignment the next time it presents itself. Thank you for joining us this morning. It was great to have you all here. My name is Emily. Um, I have a couple announcements for you today. If some of the things that you heard in the message today um, are sitting with you and you want to have an opportunity to talk with somebody about them, kind of process through some of that, we do have a discussion group happening right after the service today in the library just down the hall. Um, if you are new here, that could be an opportunity for you to connect with some people to kind of get to know um, what we're all thinking about what's being set up here. So we welcome you to join us there. Um, 
part of my role up here also as part of the charitable giving team is to just thank you for helping us to keep this thing going. Um, you've heard a couple times today about how we want to support um, outside initiatives like giving to um, earthquake uh, relief in Turkey and Syria. We also are a completely fun self-funded organization here. So everything that Friends Church does um, is supported only by the people who attend here. So if you call this home, if this is something that you connect with, uh, we invite you to help financially support us as well. And we thank you if you're already doing that. Um, if you are new here, we don't want you to feel any obligation to do that um, your first time out. Um, but we do want you to help, or we want to help you find out more about what it is that we do. So we actually have an info table. Our hospitality team is just out in the lobby, and they would be happy to connect you with some ways that um, you can learn more about Friends Church, have an opportunity for conversation, for us to reach out, um, and just check in with you and see uh, if we can and find a way to make you feel um, a part of what we do here. So we want to thank you for that. Um, I'm really, really glad you guys came out today. I hope you enjoyed the message. It was fantastic music, so thank you for that, for the, the boy band behind me here. Um, and I hope you go and have a fantastic week. Enjoy the cold that's coming. <laughs>